Thanks for tuning in and making Res Life a part of your day. Whether this is your first time listening or this is a part of your weekly rhythm, we are glad you're here. If you'd like to connect more throughout the week, check us out at reslife.org, download our app, or follow us on social media. It's time for today's message, so let's dive in. How's everyone doing? Good? I love that you guys are here and that we get to worship Christ together. And I want to talk tonight about worship. So you're like, didn't we just worship Jake? Yes, we worshiped. I'm going to talk about worship. And then, sorry, my my computer's locking me out. There we go. Okay. And then we're going to go back into worship at the end. You guys ready for that? Yes. And so um, as we get started, we're going to talk about worship. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be reading primarily out of 2 Samuel 6, 14, uh, really through like the end of the chapter. And it's about David when he was dancing before the Lord and he was criticized by his wife and really talking about how that applies specifically to let's really hone in on our corporate worship experience in the local church. And so I understand that Romans 12 talks about how our life is worship and that everything we do, whether work, no matter uh, it's our family, whether it be our hobbies, that all of our life is an act of worship towards the Lord. And so I understand that, but today I want to zone in really on our corporate worship. When we come to gather at church, let's talk about how we should approach it and what the scriptures tell us about our worship. So to start off, I remember um, bringing a friend to church in college, and this was an unchurched uh, friend, and so I know our church, I love our church, I love our worship, but I also know some of y'all like to speak in tongues during worship, some of y'all like raise your hands during worship, some of y'all are a little, let's call charismatic, and I knew that when I brought my friend, I was like, please, let's, we cannot sit next to someone who's going to speak in tongues and go crazy, because then my friend's going to be like, What the heck is this? Because you can walk into a lot of spaces, sporting events, concerts. You you go into like um, different types of environments. And a worship experience at Res Life is so unique to unchurched people. Because people from all shapes, sizes, ethnic backgrounds, we all come together. Some people raising their hands. Sometimes we got flags going. Some people on their face. Other people speaking in the gibberish, so it seems. And it's like, what is going on? We got a band and a light show and lyrics on the screen. It could be a weird experience for someone who doesn't know what's going on or who isn't familiar with a charismatic worship experience. So I remember coming to church being like, please, Lord, just give us someone who's normal. Maybe like if you've seen the Tim Hawkins like worship hands thing, maybe just someone who's holding the TV, you know, like that's okay, but I don't need anyone that's going crazy, you know? No, that's just a funny side note. I, I, I say that to say there's no one way to worship when we gather, I remember thinking when I was younger that like the people that were the most charismatic were the most spiritual. And then, you know, I became a pastor and then I started counseling people and I quickly realized some of the most mature people are the ones in the back who just are to themselves. The one, the deepest worship is actually can come from someone who's not waving their arms, but worship is a matter of the heart, not of the body. But at the same time, we'd be foolish to neglect what the scriptures say about using our body in order to worship God. Because we can quickly fall into the fear of man and thinking that I don't need to become undignified before the Lord because I'm good the way I am. 
What we read about in 2 Samuel is that David, the king, the king goes before the people in undignified worship and dancing before the Lord. Some of y'all are like, is he going to want us to dance tonight? I don't know. If you need to dance tonight to get out of your comfort zone, maybe you need to do that. Because we sang it, he's worthy. He's not worthy just of our song. He's worthy of everything. When the, when the world ceases to exist, when Christ returns, the 24 elders will come and fall before the throne of Jesus and they will sing, holy, holy, holy is the lamb for all eternity. They're not thinking, what does Jake think about us falling on our face? What might he think? Because they're too focused on the lamb. They're too focused on the one that they're worshiping, not on the ones who are watching. And that is the worship culture and the, and the message I want to bring to us tonight is that we should worship and ought to worship before an audience of one. We should worship not before an audience of our peers, an audience of our family, or an audience of anyone else. But there is one who is worthy of worship and singing. There is one who is worthy of our dancing and maybe our embarrassment. It is Jesus Christ who came, the Lamb of God, who took away the sins of the world, who saw your potential even amidst your sin, and he said, I see you for a greater purpose. I'm gonna die on a cross. I'm gonna send my spirit so your bondage can be turned to freedom, so your sorrow can turn to joy and so that your life can start reflecting the light of Christ to your world so that we can see heaven on earth. That's what it's about. And there's a saying that you become like the thing or person you worship. Whatever you worship, sports, whether you worship money, no matter what you worship, you you worship a, a movie or an actor or a celebrity, you will start to become like the one you worship. And as we as we dive into this, I want to kind of bridge it through a story where I was in a time when I was pastoring young adults at the church and we had a worship service coming and there was a girl, we were kind of like praying before the worship service, like an intercessory prayer and we're praying and this girl that was in our prayer group, they got this picture and she said, I got this picture of the room filled and we were all, there was a light in the room and everyone was just dancing and passionately worshiping before this light. And then a crowd of unchurched, unsafe people walked in and they didn't know what was going on, but they were in fa- fascinated by the thing that they were worshiping. Because the people were so focused on the light that was in the room that it turned all of their maybe skepticism into fascination. And that's what worship can do when when a group of believers, of faithful Christians, they forsake their fear of man, their worry about what other people think, and they come for one reason. We come to enthrone Jesus Christ. We don't, if we have a good day or a bad day, we're coming to enthrone him, to worship him, to lift him high because there will come a day when you don't have a choice. Right now on this side of eternity is the only time that you'll be able to worship Jesus while you're, through, while you're in heartbreak. When you're on the other side of eternity, when you die and you worship Jesus for all of eternity, there will be no sorrow. Now is the only time that you'll be able to worship Jesus in sorrow. Now is the only time in pain. Now is the only time that you'll be able to worship him in disappointment. Now is the only time you'll be able to worship him in your doubt. You see, our culture is so hyper-emotional and feelings-driven that we come in and 
Sometimes we, we, we make worship about us. We get goosebumps. It feels good. I like this song. I don't like that song. I like that worship leader. I don't like that worship leader. I wish this worship leader was singing this song. We, oh, that note was off. The drummer's a little bit off. Oh, oh, they have holes in their jeans. Oh, they need to wear better clothes. Oh, they're not matching. We like literally make worship all about the things that don't matter. And the flesh tempts us to, distra- to distract us from the reason why we came. Like, listen, why are we, co- we come to worship Jesus, but then the devil sneaks in? Because he's here. It's not like the devil's not here trying to distract us. He's here trying to get our attention. But here's the thing. When there's a remnant, a faithful few, the ones who come with pure hearts and a clear vision, they can shift an entire room. When you get a few people that can worship and throne Jesus, the entire room can usher in the presence of God in a way that can't be done without a faithful remnant. And here's the crazy thing. It doesn't matter at all what they do. You don't need Pastor David. You don't need Crystal or anyone to lead you into worship. You can do it because here's the deal. In John 4, Jesus is talking to the woman at the well. He's talking to this woman at the well and she's, he's given her this uh, words of knowledge and all this revelation. And she's like, oh my gosh, where are we going to worship when the Messiah comes? And Jesus says, there's coming a day where we will not need buildings to worship because you will worship in spirit and truth. What he's saying is you don't need a priest, you don't need a temple, you don't need a building, you don't need a worship leader. The spirit of God will train you, teach you, inspire you, and motivate you to enthrone Jesus. And you can worship him rightly whether a worship leader chooses your favorite song or not. Am I getting in your business yet? I, think, I feel like you guys like this though. I feel like this is resonating and I'm saying this a message that I, I believe the Lord is going to do something mighty in our last half of worship. That he is going to be enthroned and his presence is going to rest in this place in a special way that will draw you towards Christ's likeness. So let's go to 2 Samuel 6. Let's jump in. It says this in... Uh, Verses 14 through 16. And David danced before the Lord with all of his might. Everyone say all of his might. Oh man. All of his might. He danced before the Lord. And David was wearing a linen ephod. Now, some people have translated this and interpreted this as underwear, like undergarments. Like they were envisioning David dancing in his underwear. That is not the case, okay? You don't need to get inappropriately dressed in order to dance undignified before the Lord. A linen ephod would have been the undergarments to his kingly outfit. So what David essentially did was he had like the suit coat and the tie and the, and the executive outfit and he went and put on like, you know, shorts and a t-shirt or jeans and a t-shirt. He, he came in the apparel of the people, if you want to say it that way. And so David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord. Now, pause. The ark of the Lord in, the, in this time period represented the presence of God, the tangible manifest presence of God. That's the ark of the Lord. So they brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn. That's the, the, kind of that musical element. As the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michal, the daughter of Saul, who was David's wife, looked out of the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord. And she despised him in her heart. So, one thing I want to notice about this passage is David's worship was before an audience of one. He understood that the presence of God was the most important thing in his environment. 
He understood that the presence was where the power was. He understood where presence, the presence was where the joy was. He understood that God's presence was the highest priority and the most worthy thing of his attention and praise. He had a high priority and value for the presence of God. And he displayed this inward belief through an outward expression. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to be charismatic if you're an introvert in order to worship God correctly. And all the introverts are like, okay, praise God, I can't do that. You know, like, you know. But it does mean that your inward belief should have an outward expression. And that if your inward belief doesn't cause an adoration, an expression of praise, an expression of thanksgiving, an expression of joy, it means that you are reserving something that doesn't belong to you. See, praise belongs to God. And if your worship is about your comfort, then you are worshiping for the wrong reason. And if our worship is for anything less than the glory of Jesus, then it is for the wrong reason. Now, for some charismatic people, the Lord's going to ask you, hey, don't be so charismatic. <laughs> Stop drawing attention to yourself. And for other less charismatic people, he's going to say, I want, you to, I want you to sacrifice your own comfort in order to enthrone me in this environment. Is this making sense? And so worship is not about us conforming to one type of worship, or it is to worship him in spirit and truth as to through relationship with the Holy Spirit, we corporately and individually enthrone him with our praise, adoration, thanksgiving, and our declarations. So I'm using a lot of words, kind of big words to describe this, but I, I feel like you guys are tracking with me. Give me a thumbs up if you're tracking, okay? If you're not, just, just keep, just by faith, grab onto this, okay? Because I'm not slowing down, I'm ready to go. So it says this in, in John 4, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. So the spirit element is worshiping him with the spirit of God that's inside of you, where it's not an outward sacrifice, it's actually a spiritual worship through praise. And the truth component is that we must praise him accurately, that we must worship him according to the truth of who God is, who Christ is, who the Spirit is. We cannot worship him inaccurately. Does that make sense? And so we must worship him as the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We must worship him as the Savior of the world. We must worship him accurately. Now, just because a song is labeled a worship song doesn't mean that it's a worship song, right? So it's your job and my job as Christians to discern the accuracy and the biblical accuracy of the songs that we're singing. So if you're listening to a worship song and you're like, that, I feel like that's off, that's the worshiping in spirit and truth component. Does that make sense? And so we all, the same way that I would say everything that I say as a pastor, you have your Bible open, like you can criticize it, you can come to me and say, Jake, that's not what the word says. And the same way, we should be able to take worship songs and say, is that accurate to the, to the description of who God is and who he's called us to be and how we should worship him? And so, we need to worship in spirit and truth. And when we do this corporately, when we come together for the purpose of magnifying Christ and becoming more like him, it says this in Psalm 22, this is what happens. Psalm 22, verse 3. Yet you are holy, 
enthroned on the praises of Israel. So, this is such a beautiful imagery. When we come to worship God together, we are building, if you can imagine this, we're building a throne together. Now, he's already enthroned, but the question is, is he enthroned in our church? Because he doesn't enthrone himself. Any, like he's just saying, I am enthroned, and if you want me to be the king, you've got to come and make me the king. Otherwise, you let fear of man, people's opinions, your feelings, that's the king. So we have to willingly, this is just our, our cooperation, it's our involvement as, as members of this church and attenders of, of this church and members of the body of Christ. It's our opportunity and privilege every time we gather to enthrone him. And you enthrone him through your praises. And know what it doesn't say? God is enthroned by singing. So some people think, because I sang, I praised. It's not true. You can sing all you want without praising because praising him is something that's done from the heart. It's something that's done intentionally. It's something that's done from a place of revelation of who God is, who Christ is, and how magnificent and how loving, how perfect and how separate he is. And, the, and it's a revelation of the love that he has for you and me. And I can, show, I can prove this to you that it's not about just our singing from Matthew 15, verse 8 and 9. It says, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. So this teaches us that we as individuals can come and we can worship in vain. We can worship without enthroning Christ. We can worship without, we can worship and we can miss the main thing, which is to glorify Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, who took away the sins of the world, who defeated death, who gave you a new destiny, a new heart, who's securing your salvation for eternity, that you're never gonna die, and that you have eternal joy forever, that lasts forever, and that the devil's defeated, and that he can't take anything from you, and that you have the victory in Christ. See, that's the focus of worship. And see, our modern worship culture, it's, it's a weird thing, okay? Modern worship culture is weird because there's, there's, this, there's sections of it that if we're not careful, it's so emotionally driven. It's so me-focused. It's God answer my prayers. Now listen, God is a good father. He wants to answer your prayers. But leave that for prayer time. Leave the worship for worship. Let, let's worship when we come to worship. And we'll get to the prayer later because we cannot sacrifice the worship of Jesus for our answer prayers. If it's one or the other, I'm like, let's go Jesus all the way. Because once you do that, he meets your needs. You see, if you, if you, if you lose and you miss and you fall away from worship, you miss the whole point. You'll make Christianity, I'll make Christianity all about me. And making sure I'm taken care of instead of enthroning and expanding God's kingdom through worship. It says this in Psalm 50, one through six. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his great excellence, or excellent greatness. 
Praise him with a trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with a tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise him with everything we have. You see, because worship is all about God. It's all about God. The Bible tells us that everything is all about God. The Bible is about God. Creation is about God. Eternity is about God. The truth is only found in God. Life is, all, is only found in God. Love is only found in God. You see, God, God knows that when we worship him, we become more like him. So his, his, his demand and call for us to worship and praise him and magnify and exalt him and and. and and give thanks to him is not because he needs it and he's needy. No, he knows that we're needy and when we worship him, our soul finds rest. We start to see the, ourselves, him, and the world more clearly. So I want to kind of go into a section out of Psalm 34 when we're talking about worship as a, as a, corp, as a corporate body. It says this in Psalm 34, one through three. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. I love that. Some people boast about their bank account. Some people boast about their kids. Some people boast about their car. Some people boast about their boat. Some people boast about their looks or their clothes or their shoes. You see, the psalmist here says, I'll boast in the Lord. I love that. But it says this in the first part of that verse. It says, I will bless the Lord at all times. I remember being young. You know, you sing along with the worship songs and you, you kind of show up and the words are on the screen. And you're singing and you're, you're doing your best to kind of catch on, right? You're trying to like, what is this thing all about? We're supposed to sing. Let's sing. But then I remember hearing a, a teaching about worship is about ministering or blessing the Lord. So it says, I will bless the Lord at all times. Now, does the Lord need our blessing? No, he doesn't need it. But there's this role that the church functions, that the role serves as a function of the church, which is to minister to the Lord, which is to bless him, which is to speak of his great deeds, which is to, which is to give thanks to him. It's not just for our good, it's actually blessing the Lord. And that some people think, well, how can I do that? Listen, I don't know how the intricacies of the, how that works, but it's true. And that the church, part of its function is to bless and minister in worship to God Almighty. And so when we are coming together, it really helped me overcome like the emotionalness of worship where it's about me. And it kind of helped me shift my focus to when I come, I'm coming to bless the Lord. I'm coming to bless him. I'm coming to minister to him. I'm coming to give thanks to him. I'm not coming for me. You see, we have the iPhone. It's all about me. We have algorithms that feed you things that are all about you on social media. We have a culture that is obsessed with self. It's crucially important that we do not forget this truth that a part of corporate worship requires each member to come fueled up, ready to go to bless the Lord. Which brings up kind of my next subpoint, which is that pure worship, as we see from David, is an overflow. <laughs> 
I feel like sometimes, I, remember, I feel like sometimes I need a warm up. You know what I'm talking about? Like sometimes like that first song, if I'm not like in the right set, like that's a warm up song. You know what I'm talking about? Like you go to the driving range, you, you're like, okay, I need a little warm up. And sometimes we view the first song as like warm up. You know what I'm talking about? You're like, I just got the kids in nursery. We just came in. We were just yelling at each other in the car. And then we kind of put a smile on. We got to forgive our spouse. And we're like, okay, after the first time, I'm ready to go. But we will experience the greatest presence, power, joy, and peace as a corporate body when the more of us come fueled up and ready to go. Like some of y'all, like, need to get warmed up before you go to church. You know what I'm talking about? Like, play some worship music in the car, get up early, get warmed up, because I feel like sometimes we're, we're way, we want David and the team to, to like get us, get us there, right? We want the right song and the right mood and the right lights and the right volume. I'm telling you, man, I don't want to be a victim. I don't want to be a baby. I want to come and I don't need you to get me to worship because I've seen the glory of Jesus and the glory and the beauty of his love is enough for me. We got to be filled up. I mean, it's enough with this. Like, how you doing? Oh, you know, it was just a really rough week. And, and then we kind of, and then the second song, maybe the hand gets up. You know what I'm talking about? Like, it's time. The church does not need this anymore. We need a body of alive Christians. Our world needs to see, just like in that picture that that girl had in prayer, of people that are passionately worshiping God. And as we enthrone and see Jesus rightly, people are like, I, I don't see what you're seeing. But the way and the joy and the love and the peace that you have, it's drawing me in. Have you ever been to like an art gallery and you're looking at the art and everyone's like looking at an art piece and they're like, oh, this is amazing. You go up and you're like, what is everyone looking at? You're like, I don't see the beauty. I don't see the beauty. Listen, the spirit of God needs to teach you the beauty of Jesus. It says this in 2 Corinthians 4.4. The devil blinds the eyes of unbelievers to not see the beauty of Christ. So worshiping is not a matter of willpower, it's a matter of the Spirit's power. And we have to undo our own self-respect, reservation, and pride and say, Jesus, Holy Spirit, teach me to worship. Like, teach me to worship. And that is how we as a congregation will get to spiritual worship that enthrones Jesus and welcomes in his presence in a way that nothing else can. And here's the crazy thing. I can't do it for you. David can't do it for you. The spirit of God in a willing vessel is the only way that we get there as a group and we get there as a church. Let's go after it, amen? And the thing I love about David, and I'll just say this as a side note about David worshiping and dancing before the Lord is that for, for men, I remember feeling this way and the Lord has since freed me, but I remember feeling so like that's not manly. But you're like, David killed a giant, David was a mighty warrior. David killed a bear, killed a lion. The dude was the most manly man you could ever think. And he was the one going out in front of everyone, uh, undignified in his worship of Jesus. You know why? Because he had a revelation of the goodness of God. And he knew that the presence of God was far more valuable than any opinion of man. And we need more men specifically to rise up and say, I will be the leader. You need to get caught by your kids worshiping Jesus. Dad, what are you doing in there? Boop, boop, boop. Oh, 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 what's going on? I'm just worshiping. Calm down. We're just worshiping. 
We need more dads who are undignified, not out of foolishness, but out of love for Jesus to say, listen, you can be a strong man and love Jesus with your whole heart. We need more of that. Not out of willpower, but out of a revelation, a spiritual understanding of how good Jesus is. Because the crazy, once, you see, once you see his goodness, man, it takes a lot of pride to hold that back because once he reveals that to you, you become undone. And all the, all the reservations just start falling because he starts pricking your heart and you realize we were made, we were created. When we die and go to heaven, like all of our entire eternity will be spent worshiping him. Let's stop resisting it on this side. So worship is an overflow. We see this in Acts 16. It says this about midnight. Paul and Silas, they were in, in prison, were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. So many of us would not be doing this. We'd be like, I need David. Can you come down to the prison? Bring your piano. And I want you to lead me in a worship set. No, Paul and Silas were like, I am ready to go. I don't need, I, it's bubbling up. It is bubbling up. It's a spiritual song that comes from history with God and faith in him. And the crazy thing is, is that you don't need to be a, spirit, you don't need to be a spiritual giant. You don't, need, you don't need to have a, a degree. You don't need to go to Bible college. You don't need to understand the whole Bible. You see, worship is for everyone. It is for the, it's for the lowly of heart. It is for those that realize that God is good. And so we don't judge each other in worship like, oh, you're more spiritual or, hey, I know your past. If you got sin in your life, guess what the best thing to do is when you have sin in your life? Worship. The devil will come and whisper in your ear and say, well, it's not genuine because you just did this last week. It's not genuine because you treated your spouse this way. It's not genuine because you got divorced. It's not genuine because of this. You see, the devil will whisper, but the best thing to do when you hear those whispers is to sing louder. Because it's a reminder that you are not the one who gains and grants yourself salvation or freedom. It's only Christ. So when you're in the midst of it, just keep worshiping because like, yeah, I have these issues, but I'm free. I might be struggling, but I'm free. I might have these, these issues, but God is so good that he saw me in the midst of my issues and he still loved me. You see, the best thing you can do during those times is to worship. And the worst thing you can do as a fellow Christian is to maybe know something that's going on in someone else's life, to look at them while they're worshiping and say, what a hypocrite. Because broken praise is the only thing we can ever offer him. It's this feeble, weak praise, and he raises us up just to teach us to give thanks to become more like him as we grow and mature in the spirit and in the truth of his word. Here's the last thing I'll share. I got about one minute. So um, worship team, you can come up. We're going to end in some worship, amen? Pure worship, spiritual worship, always draws the attention of skeptics. And David returned to bless his household after he was worshiping in 2 Samuel 6. But Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How the king of Israel honored himself today, uncovering himself today before the eyes of his servants, female servants, as one of the vulgar fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. And David said to Michal, It was before the Lord, <laughs> I love that, who chose me above your father and above all his household to appoint me as prince over Israel, the people of the Lord. And I will celebrate before the Lord. I will make myself yet more contemptible or undignified than this, and I will be abased in your eyes. But by the female servants of whom you have spoken, that by them I should be held in high honor. 
Pure worship will always draw the attention of skeptics. Maybe it's of your spouse, maybe it's of your family, maybe it's of a friend, maybe if it's of someone online. Pure worship will always draw the attention of skeptics, but mature Christians understand this, that we fear God, not man. Mature Christians understand this. Worship is for the Lord, it's not for man. And they understand this, is that all of eternity will be spent worshiping him. So let's learn. Let's, let's grow in it on this side of eternity. As we think eternally, we learn to worship. It's only the cares of this world that draw us away from worshiping him. The more that we realize that one day we will stand before Christ and everything that was a lie will be exposed and we realize that we will spend eternity seeing the pure person of Jesus the glorified version of Jesus, the glorified Jesus, and we will worship him forever. The more we sit and think about that, the more that the Spirit will start to teach us to worship like we will when we get to heaven. It says, now we see in a glass dimly, then we will see him face to face. And I, my prayer is tonight that, Lord, unveil us as much as we can take unveil our skeptic hearts, unveil the fear or the doubt or the, or the shame, and that God help us to see you as you really are, the God of love, salvation, redemption, the God of second chances. And as we do, we will enthrone him in a way that he deserves and that he's worthy of. So David, I'm going to invite you up. He's going to lead us into the song. So would you everyone just stand with me? And we're going to go for about 15 minutes. And I just encourage you to take this time seriously. I encourage you to enthrone God and give thanks to him in a way that will challenge your comfort. Challenge your comfort zone. We, we have to continue to learn that it is all about Christ. We have to continue to learn and let the Spirit teach us to worship in a way that will honor and glorify God to the max. So I'm going to pray and then they're going to take over. So Heavenly Father, we just welcome your Spirit and we just say, Holy Spirit, come, teach us to worship. Help us to see Christ more clearly. Help us to see the beauty of his love. Help us to see the power of his resurrection. Help us to see the majesty of his love, God. And help us to see, God, how our worship, God, enthrones you and invites your presence in a way that takes care of all of our needs. I pray for a revelation of your goodness, a revelation of your kindness, a revelation of your power, a revelation of your truth, God. I just thank you that your spirit, it breaks down every fear. I pray that there are little boys and little girls who once knew how to worship, but life has bogged you down, that that little kid is coming alive tonight that that little kid that once loved Jesus and fell on his face at the youth group, God, he's coming back. He's coming back to worship his Savior like he did from the beginning. So God, take root in our hearts, God. Take away every distraction and make our focus supernaturally focused on you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. We hope you've been encouraged by this message. For more information, if you're in need of prayer or just want to connect with the community, go to reslife.org, follow us on social media, or email us anytime at reslife at reslife.org. We hope you have a blessed day, and we will see you again soon.